Now, guys, we're back to Romans chapter 12. We, um, <clears throat> we covered verses 1 and 2 in the fall, <laughs> and um, we're ready to just charge right ahead. Um, um, I, I am not going to read you the paragraph. Well, yeah, maybe I should. Let me read you the paragraph. The, the opening statement of the paragraph is fairly familiar. It's not as familiar as um, verses 1 and 2. But it is somewhat familiar. So let me read you the paragraph because it is, it's an exhortation. The paragraph is an exhortation. Um, <clears throat> let me read it. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, guys, the reason I, I wanted to read the whole paragraph to you, and, and I call it an exhortation, and it is, because uh, there are three places in the New Testament where the subject of spiritual gifts arise. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and in Ephesians 4. In a, in a sense, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is a commentary on this paragraph. The subject has to do with... Um, um, <clears throat> well, it has to do with how a... a um, a community of God's people function and live together harmoniously. And at the center of his exhortation has to do with the whole subject of spiritual gifts. Now, I know that y'all laugh at me for taking so long to, to work through a, uh, a chapter. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, I could spend from now until May on just the subject of spiritual gifts. There are some 18 spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament, and we could take a week for each one of them. I'm not going to do that to you, um, uh, but I, I do want to, to try and, and give you a grasp, kind of a, um, a cursory grasp of the whole issue of, of spiritual gifts. And for this reason, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, when it comes to a well-ordered, well-functioning, uh, harmonious community of, of believers, at the center of it is an understanding of and a use of one spiritual gift. It's interesting to me that when Paul got ready to give an exhortation as to how the body is to function, the first thing that came to his mind is giftedness. The, uh, the exercise, the identity, and the exercise of one's spiritual gift. Now, you've been in discussions, I'm sure, about spiritual gifts before, and so I'm not going to bore you with all of this, but there are some principles that, that are imperative. And, and they contribute to the overall Proper, peaceful functioning of God's people. I, I want you to notice in verse uh, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, according, each according to the measure um, of faith. It is, for as in one body we have many members. Do you see what he's doing? He's addressing a group. He's addressing an audience that is not faceless to him, but he, 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 is, he has in mind a group. Because one of the assumptions that Paul makes is that, that, that a Christian is going to live out his Christian experience in 
a group called a church. He makes that assumption. And so he is giving you an exhortation about how that's supposed to function, but he makes the assumption that you are a part of a community. Nobody is pulling a lone ranger out there. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is to be lived out in community. And consequently, how the, the way that community functions, one of the key under pieces of understanding is this whole thing about spiritual gifts. Because that, that's kind of a, a broad overview. We'll we'll come back and fill in some details. But let's let's kind of look at um, a couple of details in the text. We'll look at verse three tonight. This is a text that's fairly familiar because it says some things that are hard for us to hear. Uh, that part about not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. <laughs> That's not a part we like listening. But notice, notice how he opens. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. You see the assumption? He's speaking to an audience. He assumes that you're a part of something called the church. All right. But he says, he introduces this, this whole section of exhortation with a reference to the grace given to him. It is to grace that Paul realizes that he owes his position as a believer. So do you. (laughs) Um, Gang, who I am and what I am, I am because of grace. Sovereign, fresh, amazing, glorious grace. Um, guys, the whole thing from front to back, from the beginning when you when you were born into this kingdom, uh, through uh, our maintaining it, is there is a um, uh, there is an, a, a power that drives it known as grace. Now, I think you know what grace is. I mean, there's all kinds of definitions that you could apply to that one word. But the one that seems to be most comfortable among Christians is the whole idea of undeserved favor. Yes, you are in this thing called the body of Christ because of undeserved favor. You have favor that you didn't deserve. And you're functioning within this thing called the church. You're functioning as a result of undeserved favor. You have favor that you didn't deserve. And he opens by saying, I want to exhort you, but I have in mind, I understand that for by the grace given to me, I say to you the the following thing. Now, guys, um, I wanted to point his his constant reference. Paul is overtaken by this thing called grace, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but but now he he turns to them to speak to them in this in this section, this whole paragraph. Um, as I said, as he's speaking to a community and he's seeking to establish some principles as to how a community of angular people like us, you know, we're, we're, a, we're kind of a flock of porcupines. And, um, you know, you get too close and you're going to gouge somebody's eyes out. But there's this dance that goes on over time where we get ourselves closer um, carefully, but we get ourselves closer. And there's some principles that will help us move 
closer and with a greater sense of community. And here's principle number one. Everybody's got to know their place. (laughs) That's kind of offensive, isn't it? You people need to know your place. (laughs) Depends on how you say it, you know. But the, the, the principle that he begins with is everybody's got to know his place. because And for that to happen, for everybody to know their place, um, everyone, every individual has got to judge himself. He's got to form an opinion about himself, to make an estimate, to, 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 to make a judgment of himself, of what he is, of what he's fit for, of what he's intended for, of what his giftedness is. That's the focus of this paragraph. That's why he mentions three or four of them over here later in the paragraph. Because he's saying for this thing to function like it's supposed to, everybody's got another place. And so for that to take place, there's got to be some self-evaluation as to what it is that God has has intended for me. And we're going to talk about that more uh, in the coming weeks too. But guys... So he introduces this whole subject of spiritual gifts. And I'm telling you guys, um, very few things have been as controversial as the subject of spiritual gifts. I mean, if you're, if you're exposed or ever have been exposed to the whole charismatic movement, that's the whole issue of spiritual gifts. Guys, it's just, um, uh, he addresses the Roman church about spiritual gifts. He addresses the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts. He addresses the Ephesian church about spiritual gifts. You know why? Because they're always in a problem. They're a problem in Ephesus. They're a problem in Rome. They're a problem in Corinth. They're a problem in Germantown. Because all, all we're all alike. People are all alike, folks. We've, we, uh, for instance, in, in in terms of knowing our 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 giftedness, if we had our choice, we want the things. We want the kind of gifts that will bring us the most fame. We're not particularly interested in the gifts that will um, make us most useful. We want the things that are going to make us more, you know, that people are really going to applaud when we, when we use them, you know? Guys, um, <clears throat> spiritual gifts have always tended to create a context of self-assertion and boasting. Having said that, he immediately says, you're going to have to know your place, but... As you perform this self-evaluation, this self-judgment, there are two things that you must avoid. Number one, you must avoid thinking too highly of yourself. Humility. (laughs) You know, ladies and gentlemen, the, um, the insistence upon humility by the New Testament is a feature in Christianity that is completely unlike any other world religion. Christianity is the only religion that that places a value on meekness. Nobody places the value on meekness. But the founder of Christianity, and he is Christianity, we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Um, guys, he, he begins when, when, in this discussion that he's gonna, about to unfold about the whole idea of giftedness. The first warning that he has for you is, so you've got a gift that people appreciate, do you? 
Well, remember that grace thing that I opened with? You have that gift because of undeserved favor. And so be very careful not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. Um, it's, a, it's a rebuke, folks. Um, but when that, that warning is not heeded, oh, my friends, um, it produces nothing but the ugly. It produces rivalries. It produces envy. Um, and when that admonition is not heeded, guys, um, it will destroy community quick. Quick. When, um, when we understand our giftedness and come to the conclusion that we're more valuable than we really are, do you see what that would do to a community of believers? You see how toxic that could be to a group of people who all want their place in the sun. We all want to be noticed. We all want to be famous. Somehow. You know? So, as I, as Paul gives us principles of how to operate in a community, the first thing he says is everybody must know their place. Okay? To do that, I've got to measure the, the intent that God has for me in this community and for me to ever do that rightly, I have got to avoid two things. And number one is, don't think of yourself as more important than you really are. But then his next statement, he doesn't say it, I wish he'd have said it clearer, but I think his intent is this. He says, um, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. That is, also I don't want you to think of yourself Too highly or too lowly. But, but think with sober judgment. You know, guys, uh, maybe you've met the, um, um, the personality type um, that um, uses his lack of giftedness, giftedness to, to uh, avoid responsibility. Oh, I, I could never do that. Um, it's, it's oftentimes just a, um, an excuse for sloth, an excuse for indifference. Um, no, no, I, I could never do that. Who said? I mean, you, you've obviously not done some self-evaluation as you've been exhorted to do because you do have a role to play in here, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to know something. You need me. I need you too. You're needed. Or you would have never been put in this thing. And not grace of hand. You would, never have been, you would have never been put in the body of Christ. But you are supposed to figure out uh, in, in a piece of self-examination and self-judgment, what does God intend for me? Because I'm not in the body to be a taker. I've got something that the rest of the body needs. And takers do nothing but get sick and critical. You know, I love to, I love to shock people 
Um, my wife hates that about me. Uh, by the way, my wife's out of town again. She's decided she wants to take vacations. <laughs> That's just a joke. Um, but <laughs> I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> but I, I really don't enjoy a life without my wife. Uh, but uh, she has to go take care of some grandchildren again. I don't like this grandchildren thing. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> but anyway. Um, but I, the taker. We were talking about the taker. Um, you, know what, you know what I like to call that? I like to call it spiritual constipation. That's what she hates. <laughs> Constipated. Just take and take and take and take and take. Take to your sick. You weren't intended to be that, ladies and gentlemen. You were intended to take, but you were intended to give as well. Now, there's a piece of self-evaluation that you're being called to in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Now, but here's the trick, guys. Not the trick, but the, here's the beauty. Um, let's see if this thing works any better in the winter than it works in the... Guys, here's, here's, here's the admonition. Uh, don't think... No, it doesn't. There we go. Don't think too highly... saw that in the text. And then I'm suggesting to you that what Paul is meaning when he says, but, but, but think according to sober judgment, is don't think too lowly. Two things to avoid in my own piece of self-evaluation in the text. Okay, Jimmy, then what am I to think? Is every, is, are all Christians just to be medium is that what the New Testament calls for? Not too high, not too low, just, you know, medium? No, ladies and gentlemen. You know, uh, am I not... You know, subtract a little bit of this and add a little bit of that and then you got the right thing. No, 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 no. Guys, here's what I want to talk to you about with our last 15 minutes. It has to do with a grace-based... Identity. That's what you're supposed to be thinking. Is that your identity is from an understanding of the whole idea of the gospel of grace. I want to explain that a little bit. Uh, I can't... I'll explain some, but I don't know that to your satisfaction. But guys, no... It's not, well, i got to stop being a little bit too uh, high-minded and i got to stop being a little bit uh, that, a little bit that, and I mix a little, you know, in there, and I get medium. Mm -mm. The Christian option is not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. The Christian option is an identity that's grace-based. Let me show it to you. Um, hope you got your Bibles. Turn with me to James chapter 1. And, and this will, I, I think, will at least... Start your understanding of what I'm trying to, what I'm calling a grace-based identity. Ladies and gentlemen, this is so rich, so wonderful. If you, if we can just begin it, it'll change a whole lot of stuff. It'll change a whole lot of stuff because I'm telling you, most of you do not have this. You do not have a grace-based identity. 
You have a performance-based identity. You have a guilt-based identity. You got an identity, but it ain't grace-based. All right, look, look with me at... Um, I, I'm, I'm really kind of going around my elbow to get to my thumb, but um, uh, I hope you get this. Verses 9 and 10, James chapter 1, 9 and 10. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. All right, there it is. <laughs> it's right there. Gang, do you see the two, the two poles, the polarity here? Uh, there is this, um, the lowly brother and the rich brother. Do you see it? You know, kind of like these two poles. You got the, um, you got the rich, and, and by the way, uh, chapter two, he goes over, uh, he starts and he says, um, um, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the Christian faith. Uh, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes to your church and you say, hey, come on, sit up here. But somebody dressed in tatters, you say, hey, no, you sit back there. You know, he's, he's, he's trying to, uh, overturn that. But the, the same idea is here. The idea you got the rich brother and you got the lowly brother. And notice what what he says. He says to the lowly brother, boast in your exaltation. And he says to the rich brother, glory in your humiliation. Now what's that all about? Ladies and gentlemen, it it comes from understanding a grace-based gospel. If you understand the gospel... You understand that you're in this thing called Christianity based on not one thing that you have ever done or will do. And that because you understand this thing called grace, you say, as the rich guy, you say, holy moly, I am a Christian because God condescended to save me by grace. You are humble. But then you take the lowly brother, the one that's got nothing and wears tatters, but he too understands the gospel of grace. And if he understands the gospel of grace, he understands that even though he has nothing really to offer humanly, that Jesus Christ has died in his place and therefore he is valued everlastingly. So, Let the brother with great gifts glory in his humiliation because of his understanding of the gospel. I am who I am, what I am, and what I have because of grace. I am highly gifted because of grace. And it's humbled. And he's humbled. But then the other lowly brother. He glories in the fact that Jesus Christ would die for someone as unseemly as He. And so this thing called a gospel of grace brings the man of great giftedness down and brings the man of low giftedness up as they both rejoice in their position, all derived from grace. 
Guys, do you know what that would do if we were able to pull something like that off? Well, it would make us a whole lot less critical of one another. Because we would both understand that we're in this because of grace. I'll tell you one thing it would do. It would make us a whole lot less judgmental of one another. Guys, I I shouldn't do this. This is another thing that my wife would roll over. Just don't tell her. Um, I got a I got an email. I read it to the staff yesterday, and I'm telling you, I just got carried away because it it so it so upset me. An email from a young man whose name will remain nameless. I didn't know the man. He visited our church on December the twentieth. He had left his previous church, and Jeff, you heard me read the email, so you can vouch for I'm telling you the truth. I just didn't bring it with me. I didn't think I was going to say this, but um, I mean, it's not in my notes. And that's when my wife gets really nervous. He's not in his notes. Um, but this young man had visited the church, but um, he walked in and he said he was greeted rather, rather rudely. And he said his sentence was, and the woman who was greeting judged me on the basis of my appearance. And then he said a couple more things like that, and then he said he got into the, the sanctuary and, and um, people weren't friendly to him, and he got up and left. Now, if he'd have heard me preach, I'm sure he would have loved the place, but, but he didn't stay for the preaching. So, But um, here, here's the point. This man walked in here, and I don't know what he had on. I, never, I don't know who he is. But somebody gave him a bulletin, and it didn't, wasn't given to him in the way that he thought it should be given to him. And he said, that woman judged me. This is almost a quote. I mean, it's in the trash can. I'll go get it if you... Uh, this woman judged me based on my appearance. That, ladies and gentlemen, is our Pharisaism. How does he know that that woman judged him? He assumed it. She's judging me. How do you know that? How do you know that, young man? You you have no right to assume what I'm doing. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Pharisaism at its worst. It's judgmentalism. I didn't get my expectations met, and therefore, you judge. She may have, but he sure wouldn't have known it. He has no access to her inner life and her inner mental workings. What I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that is a that is toxic. And one of the things that would eliminate, one of the things that would lessen it is a grace-based identity. That young man came in here without this. Now, I don't know what he had on. I never saw him. But I, apparently, he wasn't dressed as nice as some of you are. And so, he immediately assumed some things that he has no right to assume. But if my identity is such that I know that, gosh, no, I can't afford the, that thing that she's got on. <laughs> no, I'll never be able to drive one of those either. And, you know, I don't have one of those. None of it. And, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm not no one of those either. You know, I don't have one of these, you know. But Jesus Christ loves me. And I am eternally valuable. And in union then, what you think of me. 
It's a grace-based identity, ladies and gentlemen, that we're after. Not too high, not too low, but grace-based. You view yourself as someone who is the recipient of grace, and it will humble the high and it will exalt the low. That's what James is saying in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I'll show you one more and then we're going to quit. But this, ladies and gentlemen, I preached on this a couple of years ago. This is... This is um, when I do counseling, and I don't, I don't do a whole lot. I mean, but I, I, I do my my share. The one thing that I feel like I can do is is counseling over marriage. I feel comfortable with that. Um, there's a lot of things I don't feel comfortable with, you know, um, because I'm wicked. Um, <clears throat> but normally, if somebody's in my office before they leave there, they're going to hear this verse. Before they leave, they're going to hear what Paul says. And you need to turn your Bibles open and, and feast on this, ladies and gentlemen. Because this is, this is what we are. Or, you know, this is how we maintain a grace-based identity. It's in Galatians chapter 2. It is considered one of the most complex, uh, intricate verses in the entire New Testament. In fact, if you, if you could see it in the Greek language, it gets worse in the Greek. It's uh, Paul is... Paul is often noted for his sentences that he that he never puts a period at the end. I mean, he just keeps rambling on. And he doesn't. I mean, he does that a lot. <clears throat> but this is in verse twenty. I, this is this is this is the text that I used as a as the foundation for a, a series of sermons two years ago. But I, I, I'm going to the to the center of the text because the first part. I mean, it's a it's a long verse, but I, I'm not interested in that at least for tonight. But if you can. Wind your way through verse 20, not, and don't stop after the first sentence in verse 20, nor the second sentence in verse 20. Come to the third sentence, all in one verse, and look at that. It says this, And the life I now live in the flesh. This one. The one I'm living right now. The life that I now live in the flesh. You know, the one that I have to get up and i got to drag out of bed at 6 o'clock every morning and go shave and shower and drag it into some office that bores me to tears. That life. You know, the one that I have to get up and I have to, you know, cook breakfast for these kids who don't appreciate it and then I get them off to school and they complain and whine and, and you know, that one, that life. The life, you know, the one with my husband and we're not getting along and, you know, there's not really so much joy and much, much, the pizzazz in our marriage, you know, that one, that life, the life that I now live in the flesh, look at it, ladies and gentlemen, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do I live this life, ladies and gentlemen? Because it ain't getting any easier, is it? You know how it's lived? I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. My whole sense of who I am takes me or forces me to go back again and again and again and again and be reminded that I am loved before by Christ. He has given Himself for me. 
That's a grace-based life. It's a grace-based identity. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, one of the biggest issues in many of your spiritual life is that you really don't believe that. For some reason, you have not yet come to the place where you really believe that you're loved and that Jesus died for you. I mean, you'll sing the song and you'll make the statement, but you have not yet come to the place that you really believe it. Grace has not yet swept you away. I want to see, want you to see one more thing and we're done. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 1. See this and we'll quit. Um, the book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons by Moses. In case you didn't know that, it's it just it's kind of a recap of Moses' ministry. And he's in these sermons. And he's going to back over there um, um, uh, events. And, you know, he comes to that one where he sends the 12 spies out. And, and um, you know, it turns into a nightmare. And it, it didn't go well. And, and, and then look at verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Now this is the God who extracted them out of Israel from the cruel tyranny of Pharaoh, brought them across uh, uh, the Red Sea dry-shod, and had promised them with this uh, uh, promised land with the leader of Moses, and all, all these things that God had done to redeem them out of the house of bondage. One thing goes wrong and they say, mm-hmm, I know why this happened, because he hates me. He hates me. I know that Jesus died for yeah, 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 but he hates me. Oh, I've sung those songs as much as you have. I taught Sunday school for you. Oh, but he hates me. Ladies and gentlemen, when a grace-based gospel, not as simply understood by you, but becomes a part of your spiritual DNA, then you too say this. You say, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So, as badly as I blew it yesterday, I'm safe, I'm loved, I'm secure. And though I do not deserve forgiveness, I got it. And all these rich things that I've got and all these rich blessings, hmm, why did I get them? Grace. And so, it keeps me from thinking too highly but it also keeps me from thinking too low. It's called a grace-based identity. If I could give you anything in the course of a 45-year ministry, it would be that. A grace-based identity. Let's quit. Lord, I I do pray that you will help us all um, move not simply to understand, but but to enjoy, to relish, to taste, come to the place where we are um, that we enjoy being loved by a God who sent his only begotten and beloved son to die in our place we we don't want to just sing the songs 
We want to live the life that would make a community of believers so much healthier, so much sweeter, so much less critical, so much less judgmental. If we could all just get swept away by the great beauties of grace. Do that, Father. Do that for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.